This morning I ask you, have you been awed this past week? Not audited. <laughs> I know it's tax time, and some of us are thinking about being audited. We hope we're not being audited. Have you been awed? The word awe, A-W-E. The word awe has the idea of an emotion mingled with reverence, with a sense of fear and wonder inspired by something majestic. Have you been awed by God this past week? We were created for moments of awe. Think about the little five-year-old who watches it snow for the first time. Think about the teenage girl who looks at that prom dress and is awed by the beauty of it. It has to be the right dress. Think about the man who wants to buy the, the car of his dreams. <laughs> and when he sees it, he's awed by the car that he wants to buy. How about the person who paints? Or the person who goes to the concert? Or the person who makes the meal is awed by the taste, the wonderful taste of the meal? This morning, were you awed by the sunrise? Many of us were probably sleeping because it's a weekend. We need to get our rest. And many of you are working six days a week. And so Sunday might be the day of rest. But did you see the sunrise on Thursday morning? Awe-inspiring. Have you been wowed lately? Have you been awed lately by the, 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 the very presence of God? Has he taken your breath away lately? All of us have been created to be awed by God. And awe is all around us. The world is loaded with awes. Awe is our captivity. Oftentimes our oddness is misplaced and dissatisfied with other things. I want to call your attention to a book that was uh, encouraged for me this past week. In fact, I sat down with Pastor Craig Apel. Pastor Craig and Pat are here this morning. Pastor Craig has been my pastor, and we sat down and had coffee this past week, and he asked me the question, what are you reading? What's a good book that you've read lately? And he shared with me a book that he's reading that I want to encourage you to get the copy of. I've been reading it this past week, and I can't put it down. It's called Awe, A-W-E. The author, Paul David Tripp, is the author. And let me just read for you one paragraph from the very first chapter. Every awesome thing is cre in creation is designed to point you and I to the one who alone is worthy of capturing and controlling the awe of your searching and hungry heart. I encourage you to get a copy of this book and to read it because it has some wonderful things for us to consider by way of being awed by God. Have you been awed for him, or is God just kind of, it's just kind of a normal day, and it's just the normal uh, activities of the day? I draw your attention to one of the awe stories of the scriptures, the Noah story, and I want to say to you right up front, my friends, that this story is not a children's story. This is not a children's story. This is a story that requires a heart and a soul to consider the bigness and the grandness and the glory of who God is. 
Because in this story, God is going to reveal himself as a righteous, a holy, and a forgiving, and a gracious God, all in one. In fact, oftentimes as we read the scriptures, we see the character of God revealed in the stories. The stories aren't the point. The point of the story is the author behind the story. And the story of Noah is not a children's story. <laughs> and yet, when we read it to our grandkids, it becomes one of the most popular ones. Read Noah's story again, Grandpa. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to this great passage of Scripture found in Genesis chapter 5. And the Scripture has revealed for us 39 times Noah is mentioned in these chapters of Scripture, Genesis chapter 5 through Genesis chapter 10. 39 times Noah is mentioned. We find that Noah is going to be mentioned in the Old Testament Scriptures a number of times, but especially in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel mentions three names that are very significant. And if these three people were here in your presence, Israel, even they would not be able to come into the presence or at least be able to supply uh, hope for your people, Israel. Three names. The name of Noah, the name of Daniel, and the name of Job. Jonah is also mentioned by Jesus. How do we know that the story of Noah is true? If Jesus uses the story of Noah as an expression and an illustration of Old Testament true history, Jesus does. And Jesus will make mention of Noah in Matthew 24. Noah is also mentioned in the book of Hebrews, and especially in 1 and 2 Peter, where Peter says, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was not only a builder, he was a preacher. Preacher of what? A preacher of righteousness. So this character Noah is well established in not only the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. We find that this story of Noah, and let's look at the big picture of Noah. Let's take our notes and just take a peek at chapter 5 through 10. The first thing that we see in chapter 5, if you'll just notice chapter 5, Verse 1, this is the written account of Adam's line. Chapter 5 is a line of Adam from Adam to Noah. Adam lived to be approximately, the Bible says that Adam lived to be 930 years. If you figure out this timeline, I believe that when Noah was born, Adam was still alive. I believe that Noah was probably around 56 to 58 years of age when Adam eventually died. There are 10 names that are mentioned here in this line, this genealogy of Adam to Noah. Noah is named in chapter 5, verse 28. Look at chapter 5, verse 28. The Bible says, when Lamech, that's Noah's father, had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Comfort. The name Noah means comfort. And he will be uh, in us in our labor and painful toil of our, of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord had cursed. Remember the Adamic covenant of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God cursed the ground and humanity and the serpent because of the fall. 
And so we find here that Noah is going to be referred to as that one of comfort. Notice also a repetition in this chapter. It's interesting that we find that everyone in verse 5, then Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Verse 8, then Seth lived 912 years, then he died. Verse 11, then he died. Verse 14, then he died. Verse 17, then he died. Verse 20, then he died. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God. He was no more because God took him away. This is the only one in this list of ten that didn't die. Enoch, we believe, was taken to heaven and he didn't die. In the scriptures here in the book of Genesis, Moses is going to refer to people, a number of people that walked with God. Noah is one, Enoch is another, and Abraham is another. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe that Moses here is referring and showing us these characters that walked with God. Not in a legalistic term, but in the sense of God's grace. We find the passage goes on in verse 27. Methuselah, who is the, believe, we believe to be the oldest man that lived 969 years of age, then he died, and then we find in verse 31, altogether, Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died, and then we're introduced to Noah. In verse chapter 5, we find this theme that death is eventually going to come to all humanity. Look at chapter 6, the preparation for this event that we know to be the flood. Humanity is increasing. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal his days will be 120 years. We're going to find that as the scripture unfolds, humanity is going to live shorter periods of time. 120 years, when the flood is over, we're now going to live about 70 to 80 years. I believe, friends, that this ancient world that happened before the flood, I believe that this ancient world was very much a developed world, and they probably had more tools. Just think of it. You and I say when we get older, boy, I wish I knew what I knew today and could go back and live to be 25 years old, right? There's wisdom in experience. <laughs> think of living six, seven, and 800. Think of the wisdom that you and I would have. Humanity was living long periods of time. It's cut short now to 120 here in chapter 3, verse 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. The Bible tells us, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every, notice this, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Humanity is corrupt to the very core. We're going to find that the scriptures reveal to us that sin is not an outer problem. Sin is an inner issue. And we're going to see this culture, especially this ancient culture, is going to be corrupt to the very core. The judgment of cleaning is coming. Look at chapter 6, verse 7. The Bible says, For the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found grace, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then Noah is told, because he's found grace, to prepare an ark. 
Look at chapter 6, verse 15. We're told the dimensions of this ark. In chapter 6, verse 15, it says, This is how you are to build the ark. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It's a tremendous endeavor here that Noah and his three sons were to take. The ancient world was definitely smart and very developed. And I oftentimes think we don't give them credit for what they knew and the relationship that they had with God. Chapter 7 is the flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. In chapter 7, verse 6, the Bible tells us that Noah is 600 years old and his sons were born when he was 500 years old. Look at chapter 5, verse 32, the very last verse of chapter 5. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He was 600 years old when he was placed, when it started to rain. He was to take two animals of every kind, chapter 7, verse 9. And the animals came to Noah. It's interesting to hear that Noah didn't go out to them. The animals came to Noah. Sin is developing and growing. It's almost like a cancer from Genesis chapter 3. It's going to be a cancer that is going to continue to grow. Here in these early stages, sin is there. And we see it, but we even see that even creation itself is different than what it is today. As we're going to find, the animal kingdom is going to be affected by this Noahic covenant. The animals came to Noah. The floodgates in chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, the floodgates of not only the sky, but the Bible says that the belly of the earth was opened. The waters came from within the belly of the earth and from the skies above and it drenched, and now the earth became a giant pool of water. There were eight people that were on the ark, chapter 7, verse 13. Eight people, Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people. In fact, on the keyboard of the piano, there are eight keys. If you know anything about music, you know that there are well, seven keys, but watch this. One, two, three. eighth key that you come to, you start all over again. So there's eight men, uh, uh, eight people on the ark. And many times eight in the scriptures is a uh, number for new beginnings, which is true here in the book of uh, Genesis as uh, God is going to flood the earth. But there's a new beginning that God has uh, in store for humanity. The Bible tells us uh, that the mountains were covered with water by at least 20 feet. Look at chapter 7, verse 20. Chapter 7, verse 20. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. And the flood lasted for approximately five months. Look at chapter 7, verse 24. The Bible says there, that there were, um, the flood lasted 150 days, which is approximately five months of time. The results in chapter 8, the results, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. When the flood waters go down, the, uh, the ark is going to rest on Mount Ararat, chapter 8, verse 4. And the Noah sent out a, uh, a dove three times. He sent a dove out the first time. It returned, 
which told him that the waters had not recited yet. He sent the dove out a second time, and it came back with an olive leaf. And then the third time they sent it out, the dove did not come back. Chapter 8, verses 8 through 6. Look at chapter 8, verse 13. Noah was 601 years of age when he came off the ark. Chapter 8, verse 13. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. And what Noah does at this point is Noah builds an altar. The covenants of God require a response of worship to him. So what uh, Noah does is he builds an ark, and now we come to the covenant uh, in chapter 9. This morning, I'd like you to take a peek at Noah's ark and see here some of the reality of what this ark might have looked like. There is a person in the Netherlands that has built a model of this ark, and it is there in the Netherlands today, as you're going to see. And as Noah built the ark, and as he came off the ark, God made a covenant with Noah and with humanity. Let's look a moment at the specifics of this covenant. It's a fascinating, fascinating passage of Scripture. Let's pick up our reading in chapter 8, verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an ark to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed uh, time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And then chapter 9, verse 1, he unpacks and unfolds this covenant that God makes with humanity. Notice some of the characteristics here. In chapter 8, verse 21, and also look at chapter 9, verse 11. The first thing that we see here of this covenant, and it's a promise that God will make to all humanity, chapter 9, verse 11, I establish my covenant with you, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. The first thing that we see here is God is making a promise to humanity that never again will God judge the earth by flooding it the way that he did here in Genesis chapter 5 through 10. God will not judge the earth that way. He is a fair and a faithful judge. But he will judge in the future, not with water. We believe that the future, God will judge the earth again, but not with water, but with fire. A baptism of fire is what Jesus talked about. And there seems to be in the scriptures, there are two judgments, main judgments that God places on humanity. One being by water, Noah, and the future, one of fire. That is the nation of Israel. When we get to that 70th week of Daniel, and if you look on your outline, you'll see that we've called it the purification period of time where God will take the people of Israel through a time of fire and take away all of the extras and purify the nation of Israel through fire. The psalmist cries out, How long, O God, until you do something? It seems like the evil in our world gets away with literally murder. 
God, when will you do something? And oftentimes our hearts respond the same way. We maybe watch the news and we say, oh God, when are you going to step in? God has stepped in in the past and God will step in in the future. God is not a distant God. God is well aware of all that is happening in the world today. We see here that God is a fair and a faithful judge. Notice the second element of this covenant. Look at chapter 8, verse 22. We read it. The Bible says, As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. The establishment of the seasons. What was the earth like before this? We're not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here we find that the seasons are established as Earth's regularity. Now we know what the seasons are like. We especially know what winter is like. Don't we love it when it feels like summer and it's only spring? Oh, yeah. And the seasons continue to move on. God established the seasons here. The ancient world was different and very primitive, but... Many believe that the earth possibly had a vapor canopy that surrounded it, and when the floodgates from within and without came upon the earth, it changed the earth because of it. Now we have the seasons. Look at the third characteristic of this covenant. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, let's just read chapter 9, verse 1, but in verse 1 and 7, the Bible says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This is the same promise that was given to Adam. Fill the earth, replenish it. Be fruitful and increase in number. Why? Because the earth has been given to mankind to not only live within it, but to care for it and to use its resources to live within it. They say that the population today is approximately 7.4 billion people. They say that by the year 2064, there will be, if everything goes the way it's going, 10 billion people. It doesn't matter what state you drive through. It doesn't matter if it's Arizona, or I think it's Montana, or maybe Michigan. There's an awful lot of space on the planet, isn't there? Oh, there's a lot of resources here. God created humanity to replenish it and to fill it completely. We don't have a population explosion in the sense that we don't have the... Re God has provided the resources for the earth. Be fruitful and increase. Notice the fourth characteristic of this covenant. In chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says... The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Notice verse 3 here. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, Noah. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Noah's diet is going to change. The fear of humanity is going to fall on, fall on all of the animals. Why? Because they have now become food for Noah and his family. 
That's why they run from us. That is still true today. This covenant, some of these, co these covenants that we're going to see in the Old Testament, some of these elements of these covenants are still true today. That's why I don't have, as a pet, a lion. And neither do you. Try it sometime. See what happens. We have to train them because they will eat. And we eat them now for food. God has changed some things uh, in our world today. Look at chapter 9, verse 4. There's a fifth characteristic, and that is drain the blood. Noah, don't eat the meat that is still in the blood. The blood is going to become very important in the scriptures as it unfolds. We don't fully understand it here in Genesis, but later on in the scriptures, we're going to find that the covenant of Noah is established with some of the coming covenants that God has in the, in the future from here. Look at the next characteristic of this covenant. Chapter 9, verse 6, life for a life, it's in the blood. Part of the covenant here that God makes with Noah is what we call the covenant of capital punishment. Or the principle that if somebody takes a life, if I murder somebody, then my life is to be taken. And that's what God is telling Noah here. It's what we call capital punishment. And I believe that this principle here in Genesis, Jesus will make reference to it in the New Testament, but this is a principle that even some governments today still use as part of their government surroundings or what they establish. Blood for blood. Blood is important because when we get to Leviticus, the Bible is going to say that life is in the blood. We use blood to make atonement for our sins. And here we find in chapter 9, verse 6, let's read the verse. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Why is this so true? The image of God, we saw this back in the Adamic covenant, the image of God is so, so important for humanity. We are created in the image of God and we reflect the very likeness of him. You want to see some of what God is like? Look at humanity around us. And you'll see glimpses of it. Have you been awed lately by the people around you? And friends, this is not just for people that are adults. Human life begins, we believe, at conception. We believe that at conception, the image of God is placed in that young child that is in the womb. And from conception to the end of life is the image of God. We value it because it values the very presence and the very picture of God. Amen? Maybe? Not sure yet. We can destroy them. They're not really life. It's because of the image of God that we value one another. How do we value one another? How do you value the people around you? Can I just suggest a very simple application? And this is becoming hard today. Look them eyeball to eyeball and say good morning. Are you serious? You know what I do? What I have a tendency to do? Hi, how are you? And we're losing the art 
of connectedness, eyeball to eyeball. Don't miss a soul. People come into your day not by chance. They are there by divine appointment. Don't miss them. We are missing God all over the place because we're missing the people that are right before us. I got things to do. I got an agenda to fill. I'm busy. I don't have time. Connectedness. Why? Because we're in the image of God. Let's make sure, friends, that we get down on our children's level and let's look them eyeball to eyeball. And when we turn around and greet each other, don't miss the children. Don't miss them. Why? Because they're in the image of God. Our government, one of the roles of government, I believe, is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The role of government is to protect its people. I still believe that this principle is true for governments. I believe that the government needs to protect us so that we can do what God wants us to do, and that is to live quiet and holy lives before him in all reverence and to give worship to him and acknowledge him every day. That's the goal of government. And when the government loses sight of that, I believe it loses its purpose. I would encourage you over the next couple of weeks, Harold Kimball is teaching in Family Bible Hour this whole idea of government and what's the role of government. He's teaching this principle in, in our Family Bible Hour at 9.30. Don't miss that. It's a great opportunity for us to see what the Spirit of God says about government. The seventh and last element of this covenant is found, and I want to read these verses very slowly and take this in, drink it in. Look at chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to ask you in honor of God's word, because of the reverence of the word of God, we should stand for the reading of it all the time, but we can't because we'd be standing all the time, right? But can I ask you to stand in reverence as I read these verses, and let's stand as I read chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. Follow along as I read. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you. And for every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures for every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all earth and all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. Verse 17, so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And here we have the covenant of the bow. Have you seen a rainbow lately? <laughs> I look forward to spring and summer for this reason. I love to see rainbows. And you probably do too. The rainbow is a beautiful picture, a reminder of God's promise 
that he will never judge the earth by water again. Notice the text. He says it as a reminder for him, not for us. And it's not that God has to be reminded, but it's a reminder when you see that next rainbow, tell your heart and your soul, God is looking at that and reminding himself about the promise that was made here in Genesis chapter 9. Seven colors. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. It's caused by the light from the sun being broken up by water droplets in the atmosphere. The sun's light is white, but the water droplets break it up into seven different colors, always in this order. What a beautiful picture, as the Hebrew calls it, the bow. The bow. It's the rainbow. And it's a promise of God's heart of righteousness, holiness, forgiveness, and grace that we see here as the Noahic covenant. Again, I'm going to ask you to take a moment and take a look at Noah's Ark again from this clip that gives us some of the picture of Noah and the Ark and what it means uh, to us. Because the question that I want to ask us is, so what? What does this story have to do with you and me? Let's consider that this morning. For seven days, Noah was on the ark before God shut the door. Could be that those were maybe seven days of grace. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Could it be that maybe for seven days, Noah stood and said to the people, there's room. There's room for you. Come join us. Don't stay out there. God is faithful. God is going to do what he has said. And for seven days, the Bible tells us that Noah and his family were on the ark before God shut the door. Missing the awe of God. Awe, amnesia. Have we fallen asleep to who God is? Have we missed the wonder and the joy of 
God even in the creation around us to see who he really is? Every day there's an awe that is out there and we miss it. Can I suggest to you, my friends, that God's patience, he is a patient God, but his patience is going to run out. And the Bible tells us that he is patient so that people can come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our age that we live in today, we know the rest of the story. God has revealed himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ becomes the ark of your salvation. If you don't know him, if you haven't come into the ark, if you haven't put your faith and your trust in him, my friends, the time is short. Don't let another day go by. Do not leave this building without saying, I bend the knee. I believe that Jesus Christ, I submit my heart to Christ. Because the biggest issue that we deal with in life is not all the idols out there. The biggest idol that you and I deal with is ourself. You are the biggest problem in seeing the awe of God. I am my biggest problem in seeing the awe of God. Because it's all about me. It's all about my agenda. It's all about me. Sin is I-centered. Take the I in sin and turn it to an O and say, it's all about Him. When will we wake up and see the time is short? Some of us have not bent the knee yet. Some of us are just playing the game of religion. Some of us are putting time into coming to church. Oh, my friend, I plead with you, don't let another day go by. You are chosen to choose. God gives you the choice to choose. That's how God has created you. He will always be a gentleman. He will never push himself on you. You have a choice. And what you choose to believe in has a hundredfold on what's going to happen in the future. You and I have consequences to what we believe. And some of us are just getting caught up with the idols of the world. We're getting lost in all the things that we play with. We get involved in all the games that we play with. And some of them are literally games. That's all they are. And we come up short. We come up empty. We go to bed empty. We're lonely. We're frustrated. Nothing seems to work. Why should I wake up for another day? We've been there, haven't we? We've done that, haven't we? And the scriptures give our soul the awe of his heart. Have you been flooded by his awe lately? Friend, if you haven't bent the knee this morning, please, I want to share with you the good news of the gospel. God loves you unbelievably, more than you could imagine. You know, we started this song this morning, Jesus loves me, this I know, and we think that's, all of these great stories we think are for children. God loves you. And he has given his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and revealed his heart to you. He died in your place for your sin, your selfishness. That's what you and I are. That's what sin is. I don't look at other people because I don't have time, and my blinders are all on me. And God will save you from that. He will save you from yourself if you but just believe. Believe. Put your faith and your trust in him. If you haven't come to the cross of Calvary, 
I'm going to invite you to come to the cross of Calvary. You don't have to come to a place. You have to come to the place in your heart where you believe that Christ died for your sins. And then my plea is for us that know Christ. Some of us have known Christ for years and we have fallen asleep to the awe of God. Why? Because we're missing him. We back away. We avoid people. We don't want to have anything to do. I don't want to serve other people. No, no, it's all about me. Friends, if you know Christ as personal Savior, renew that love that he has for you and those plans that he has for you and be flooded yet again with the greatness and the awe of who he is. Will you bow your heart and your head with me this morning as we close in a word of prayer? Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years. A thousand years is as good as a day. My friend, God isn't late with his promises, some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you and me. Holding back the end because he doesn't want any of us to perish. God loves you. God loves me. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Believe. Friends, if you haven't put your faith and your trust in him, would you bend your heart and submit to him today and say, yes, I believe that Christ is my Savior. It's not about me anymore. It's all about him. Bend the knee. Bend the heart. Submit to him and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Be washed. Be restored. Be cleansed. Be loved. Be forgiven. Be transformed. Be secure. Be significant. Be saved. Be awed by God this morning. Father, break in to our hearts this morning and give us a glimpse of your glory. Just a glimpse of your glory will be enough for our hungry souls to say, oh God, this is what it's all about. It's all about you. And Father, as we go through this week, awe us with your presence. Sprinkle us. No, bathe us. Father, engulf us with who you are. Father, it is so good to know that you are a faithful and loving God. I pray, Father, that this might be true of our hearts as we submit to you. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.